0: Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information and advisory services partner for emerging market executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with insights, analytical tools, and data that help inform and power their emerging markets growth strategy. The focus of today's conversation is FSG's white paper The Do's and Don'ts of Working with Data in Emerging Markets where we explore the seven most critical data challenges across emerging markets. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group. Joining me for today's discussion are the co-authors of the white paper, from our London office, Anna Rosenberg, FSG's Sub-Saharan Practice Director, and here in studio, Lauren Goodwin, Practice Leader for Global Economics. Anna and Lauren, welcome, and thanks for joining me for this discussion.
1: Hi, Rich. It's a pleasure talking to you today about this.
2: Yes, thanks, Rich.
0: Anna, before we dive into some of the specific do's and don'ts in detail, I thought it would be helpful to our listeners if you could briefly share the motivation for writing this white paper and give us some of the headlines regarding what it is all about.
1: Sure, Rich. As you know, companies depend on data for most of their business decisions. However, um, a lot of the companies that operate in emerging markets also struggle with a lot of data challenges. There are often gaps in the data. There's potential bias and the numbers can be outdated or also simply incorrect. So the wrong usage of data is often to blame blame for a company's misjudged investment decision and in some cases also the market access of a company from an emerging market. So using data incorrectly can as a result put a company's reputation at risk as well as, well, the job of the person making that decision. And that's particularly important now because a lot of companies are now operating across an increasingly diverse portfolio of emerging markets and global growth is continuing to slow. So decisions are more important now than they may have been a few months or years ago. So as a result, we felt the need to put a white paper out there that clearly outlines what data can and cannot do. Now in terms of the headlines you asked me about, the white paper offers concrete advice on how to first successfully navigate and interpret emerging markets data, how to utilize data to support strategic operational decisions, and how to avoid many common pitfalls associated with emerging markets data.
0: Excellent. I look forward to uh, digging into the detail. Before we do that, Lauren, from a high level, could you just highlight the key issues that executives have to understand when it comes to working with data in emerging markets?
2: Sure. I'll maybe list the seven that we talk about in the paper, and then you can choose, Rich, which you think might be most uh, relevant to speak about today. Um, The first is that uh, emerging markets data has considerable gaps the data second is biased, um, even more so in emerging markets. It's difficult to compare between markets. Um, sometimes, as Anna mentioned, data in emerging markets is incorrect altogether, uh, which we can explain. Uh, forecast data does not always stand up to Reason or common sense that we see our, our clients' teams experiencing on the ground, data and used data is used and interpreted in different ways within and without organizations. And and finally, companies use outdated data frequently to make forward-looking decisions. And so, what this white paper is meant to do is help companies navigate these challenges and emphasize the relevant do's and don'ts. Um, I would say that the main takeaway of the paper is that data just often doesn't stand on its own. It requires context, thorough analysis, and a lot of times creative thinking. And that's uh, one of the pleasures that we have working with our clients that we thought we'd we'd share.
0: Great. And so uh, ultimately, who's the target audience for this analysis and this white paper? Is it the senior most executive or is it geared more for the his or her market intelligence team who are often the power users of the data, if you will?
2: Yeah, I would say that probably the most common misconception about data is that it should be consumed and interpreted by those market research teams um, marketing departments for example uh, the pricing organization wherever that sits within a company one of the benefits of being an analyst at FSG is that while we are forecasting for our clients we also get to know intimately the way that organizations use and interpret that data and this white paper is really for them the the senior executives of, of companies the 200 multinationals or so that that we work with um, but it, it's it's really to make the point Point that this isn't just a, a market monitoring or market research um, project. It's for the whole of the organization to understand so that those decisions that trickle up are made with the best possible information.
0: Okay, so having set the stage a bit, I I think it's important now to to use the remaining time to dive into uh, as many of the challenges uh, that Lauren highlighted. Uh, We obviously, as Lauren pointed out, won't have time to get through all seven, so I'll I'll just pick a few uh, for us to get started. So, Anna, let's start with the very first challenge that you list in the uh, white paper, which is that emerging markets data has considerable gaps. Could you elaborate a bit on this topic?
1: Of course. So, as you know, a lot of our clients are used to having a lot of data for developed markets. And the problem is that they expect similar levels of granular data also in emerging markets. But the reality is that many industry-specific indicators are often not available in emerging markets. And that's particularly critical when companies want to compare countries based on one specific indicator or when they want to better want to grasp demand in a market. The more specific and the indicator for example let's say sales of toothbrushes the more unlikely it really is for the data to exist especially in the smaller and less developed emerging markets you may be lucky in a market like russia and india but the moment you go to nigeria and angola it's getting more and more difficult the problem is that many companies expect their data providers that usually focus on developed markets to offer them the industry specific information they want However, most of these data providers can't provide them the same data coverage for markets such as, for example, Paraguay or Pakistan. And that's for a variety of reasons. First, it's actually very costly to collect these data sets. Second, demand for this data may not actually yet merit that investment, and, and most importantly, the data may not yet exist at all because the demand for the product may not yet exist. Right? Maybe people aren't yet using toothbrushes to the same extent as they are in Germany or the UK. So in order to bridge the gap between what companies need and the data actually available, a lot of data providers sometimes use models to create the data they don't have. But if these data providers then lack emerging markets knowledge, so if they don't have analysts in place to look at the data, gut check the data, then you can end up with serious issues with data quality.
0: Can you give us an example, Anna, of of, of poor data quality?
1: Sure, so so one of our clients, an alcoholic beverage firm, was basing its assumption on data from its Indo-specific data provider, and, and that uh, company decided to prioritize Iran as one of the largest untapped opportunity markets for its drinks, alcoholic drinks. According to the data that they had access to, Iran's alcohol consumption was actually comparable to that of India. However, when you look at the population numbers, you see that India's population exceeds one billion consumers or potential consumers versus Iran's 77 million. So that, that forecast was very unlikely to be correct. Also keep in mind that the Islamic Republic of Iran, there you, I mean, alcohol consumption is simply illegal. So what we discovered is that the forecast numbers were based on outdated statistics from the 1970s, when Iranians, prior to the Iranian revolution, were emulating Western lifestyles, right, under the Shah. And so growth forecasts were placed on top of these outdated numbers without taking decades of conservative Islamic rule into consideration. It's also very unlikely that an Iran market expert actually looked at these numbers and gut checked them.
0: One of the things you guys do in the white paper is focus on do's and don'ts uh, with regards to each of the challenges. So uh, let's start with the don'ts uh, with regards to this data uh, gap challenge? What, what are the don'ts that uh, executives should, should pay
1: attention to? So in this specific case, executives should not expect their approach to develop market data to be applicable in emerging markets because emerging market data has gaps.
0: So then what, what are the do's or how should they think about this or how should they approach it?
1: Well, they should be creative and critical about the use of industry-specific indicators. For example, if you want to know how many cables you can sell in Kenya, you shouldn't try to look for an indicator that specifically quantifies cable sales, but instead conduct an analysis that draws on available macroeconomic numbers for government spending and investment in infrastructure where such cables could be in demand. There are, of course, a lot of other things um, that executives can can do to bridge this, uh, the, the problem with data gaps. For example, implementing um, strong relationships with the distributors to help them develop the necessary skills to collect some of the data they want. And there are many other issues that can do as well, and we outline them in the, in the white paper in more detail.
0: Okay. Well, just keeping us moving then, let's, let's quickly shift, because uh, the goal of this podcast discussion is to, is to kind of hit the high point. So let's shift to the next challenge, and Anne, I'm going to stick with you for this one as well. And that, the challenge I'd like to talk about is the one where we talk about data being biased, and, and particularly in emerging markets. Could you explain uh, this challenge and, and also share the, the don't before we focus on the do?
1: Okay, so the don't is not to blindly trust data even when it comes from a reputable source because data is biased. Because um, reputable sources are typically likely to have data than other sources, they also have limited resources and problems with the source data that they use which can undermine the quality and objectivity of their final data set. So, Let me give you an example here. data can be political, right? So for example, the IMF and the World Bank are perceived as some of the most reliable sources for data. The assumption being that both organizations collect and fact-check indicators. What is in fact less well-known is that the IMF and the World Bank, as well as, by the way, most other data providers, collect the majority of their numbers from local governments. While some checks are conducted, neither the IMF nor the World Bank have the capacity to actually fact-check every single statistic coming out of each country. So um, large international organizations such as the IMF also have political agendas which are primarily driven by their, um, by their stakeholders that occasionally also adds bias. Let me give you a specific example here. During the financial crisis in Greece in 2015, the IMF published statistics for 2.5% year-on-year GDP growth in its April World Economic Outlook. Most other data agencies were forecasting recession at that time, and our forecast actually was as low as minus 2.5% GDP growth. It was actually clear that the Greek economy would not grow, but the IMF was involved in the country's bailout program, giving it, of course, an extreme disincentive to forecast a recession in Greece. Of course, the IMF um, had good intentions here, but um, it made it, of course, very difficult for a company to use that biased data set to set realistic sales targets based on these numbers.
0: Yes, and we often hear about bias uh, from our clients just in terms of even the internal information that they're receiving from their on-the-ground teams, often because uh, there's uh, a similar uh, you know, uh, agendas for managing expectations accordingly. So I guess at the end of the day, what can executives do to guard themselves from bias in data?
1: They need to question potential motivations behind numbers all the time. They need to ensure the data being used has been collected by sources that has that have in-depth market knowledge and no subjective interest in dressing up the numbers. They should also ensure that these numbers are reviewed by analysts with real market knowledge. Now, our analysts here have to counter basis biases in data sources on an ongoing basis. And to limit the influence of bias, they have to get creative and move beyond assessing only official data sets. So, for example, Argentina's official inflation statistics do not accurately reflect real consumer prices. We hear that all the time from our clients. I think the official um, numbers for Argentina's inflation are in single digits, but estimates of them, the real numbers are more like 34% in 2014 and 26% in 2015. So to find more accurate inflation values, our analysts check in regularly with companies operating locally to understand how business and consumer demand is evolving. And this approach reveals numbers that more accurately reflect the reality and lo- allow our clients to make better informed business decisions, such as setting prices that are in tune with local inflation growth. Now, they couldn't do that if they were, be- were using the official government numbers, single digits.
0: Great. Let me move on to another one. Uh, Lauren, I'll, I'll direct this one to you. A lot of our clients are ultimately making decisions not based on the past but on future and future demand uh, so I wanted to dig in a little bit to forecast data. And one of the challenges you highlighted earlier is that forecast data does not always stand up to reason. Um, and as a company that's in the business of forecasting, I thought it would be helpful if you could elaborate on, uh, on this issue for us.
2: Sure. Um, I think the best way to explain why forecasting data can go astray is... Um, is to say that any of the problems that Anna just described about source data are going to be true for forecast data. But what you're basically doing, or any forecasting organization, is looking at that source data. Um, Nobody has a crystal ball. And you're applying assumptions on top of it. And so if the latest information that you have for... Uganda is from 2014, and you're making a 2016 or a 2017 forecast. Then, then you're using all that data, which has the same problems and as described, and you're and you're essentially. Um, increasing the uncertainty around what those projections might be now this is a challenge that every organization faces businesses forecasting firms um, no matter what it is but it but it is a challenge and one of the interesting things that we see companies do a big pitfall really all the time is they paid for forecasting data and they treat it as gospel you know we got this from a reputable source we trust this source and and so we're going to use this to make our business decisions but if you were to take a look at the forecasting data, and this is a, a, a something we see with local teams all the time, for example, it doesn't make any sense. And that's and that's what we say by the, holding the data to reason. Sometimes it, it, it just doesn't. And these large forecasting organizations are forecasting thousands and thousands of indicators. And so they're going to look at the countries that are most important for their clients and prioritize and gut check them effectively. So just to give you an example of, um, of this, uh, South Sudan, we had a lot of clients asking us, out of nowhere about South Sudan with regards to pet care um, or animal health care and um, we were really surprised by that because South Sudan had been undergoing a civil war and had very few economic prospects and and we ended up figuring out that a lot of these companies used the same forecast source and had um, you know a, a huge growth indicator for livestock in in South Sudan, which wouldn't hold up to reason at all. But you just you you find yourself in a situation where as a data organization, maybe you don't focus on South Sudan, uh, because it's not as important to your client base, but it results in these types of strange numbers. And so uh, we just really recommend that our clients keep an eye out for that type of challenge.
0: So, so talk to me, Lauren, about the the quote unquote dues here, and uh, when it comes to this this specific issue around forecast uh, standing up to reason.
2: This do is 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 simple, but we find that a lot of companies don't do it, and it's simply just to ask questions about the forecast data you plan to use. If it's surprising or suspicious, investigate it. So a simple sniff test. Um, it's it's worthwhile asking your teams um, or even the forecast provider um, to make sure that you have reasonable expectations for growth or change.
0: Okay, I think we just watching the clock. I think we have time for one more, and uh, and I think this would be a good challenge uh, as our last one that we can touch on here. Again, there's seven in the white paper, but we'll have time here. to Looks like to get through four, and, and that's a challenge that I've heard vocalized by many of our clients, which is that uh, companies are often forced to use outdated data in order to make forward-looking decisions. So this ties a little bit into our prior discussion here about forecast uh, accuracy. And, Lauren, uh, again, I'll stick with you for this one. As as part of uh, a member of our our more customized predictive analytics team, you face this problem a lot uh, and work closely with clients in coming up with solutions. So could you maybe just elaborate uh, briefly on the challenge and and then some potential solutions?
2: Sure. This this really gets to the core of many of our clients' business planning decisions. This idea that you you should use macroeconomic data to understand better how your business environment might unfold, and we think that that's a great idea in smart business and in many industries for many of our clients. But there are two ways that companies frequently get this wrong. The first is just by a simple lack of analysis. Um, it, it starts with good intentions. A, a company, um, say a, a company who exports goods as the primary uh, source of their business will look at an indicator like exports and, and decide that that's what they're going to watch to monitor their business. It's worked in the past. It'll work in the future. And we find that that is... Uh, doesn't provide meaningful target-setting material. It might be directional, but it's not going to be anywhere near precise, and so you you end up setting targets that frustrate people, um, which has long-term organizational costs. But the second thing that companies do when they're identifying leading indicators that's a mistake is they fail to recognize that data is recognized on a lag or, or reported on a lag. So you have, um, let's use the same example, an, an industrial company who's, who's exporting a lot of things, um, export data is released pretty quickly but it's still going to be a month or two behind in most cases. And so then what is the timing of that relationship to your business? Did If you see a tick in exports uh, this month is June and you get the data from April, well, what does that mean for September? It's very difficult to tell. And so that's, that's where we see the most frequent challenges.
0: So what, what's the solution? What can companies do uh, proactively instead?
2: What we recommend is that um, by identifying a proven set of leading indicators for for business operations, a company can be much more confident and agile in in monitoring and reacting to that macroeconomic environment. So once you identify the leading indicators and understand the timing and the size of the impact of that macroeconomic change on your business, you can be much more effective. So I'll just give an example because I know it's a little bit of a a wonky topic. Um, One of our clients who's a consumer goods company used consumption as a leading indicator of their business. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, and and it was something where, as a very global company, they wanted to have one indicator that they could track across all of these markets. But there's a lot of things going on in the world. So Europe, for example, as they underwent their, their big, uh, long, dragged-out economic crisis, they saw that the relationship between consumer spending and spending on their product was changing. And so... That indicator doesn't apply the same in, in Europe as it does in Africa, as it does in Latin America. And so uh, what we recommend is that companies really think carefully about those leading indicators and treat each market. And, you know, maybe you focus on key markets, maybe you don't do it for everybody, but treat each market as the unique environment that it is. And uh, and so really the, the do there is just to be careful in identifying those forward-looking indicators so that you can use them in, in the way that they were purposed.
0: Uh, last question lauren i'll uh, just uh, just following on on this do, do you think that companies um, are should be using industry indicators or macroeconomic indicators as the most leading of demand for their business
2: in my opinion or in our opinion really as we as we've looked at um Projects across all different types of industries, we find and we test uh, when we when we do this type of work for our clients. We test both. Um, we're very thorough in thinking about all the different ways that that could go. Um, but consistently, it's the macroeconomic indicators that are more helpful in the in the leading sense, and that has to do with that leading and lagging relationship. So if something is impacting your industry as a whole, um, it's too late to do a whole lot about it at that point. And so the macroeconomic environment usually leads that industry impact. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't indicators that might change your industry as a whole. So, for example, we get a lot of, um, in a lot of our models, we'll use really important regulatory changes uh, that that are industry-specific changes, uh, but macroeconomic in nature. And and by getting ahead of those types of things, you can understand pre-orders, you can um, get ahead of surges in demand to get ahead of that regulation, whatever it is. Um, But, Consistently, macroeconomic indicators are ahead of that type of change.
0: And the key is just choosing the right ones for each market, and each market is unique. Exactly. Uh, Okay, last question, Anna, as we're bumping up against time. uh, What's the one key takeaway as we wrap up here you'd like our listeners to remember from uh, the white paper and from today's uh, discussion?
1: Sure. So first of all, let me summarize. I think it's important to note that data is critical for the success of a company in emerging markets but data in those markets presents a lot of challenges. There are gaps in the data, the the sources face bias as we have discussed, and data can also be difficult to compare, outdated, um, or it's simply incorrect, and it's oftentimes also interpreted differently. However, um, the challenges that companies face when dealing with emerging markets data are actually not too difficult to surpass because um, with the right mix of skepticism, critical thinking, and questioning, and a lot of creativity, most data problems can actually be uh, be solved. I think um, one key issue that the white paper shows is that data often can't simply stand on its own. It requires context, thorough analysis, and creative thinking to provide the answers one is looking for. And so to to make the best business decisions, we strongly believe that executives have to use a, a mosaic of sources, if you want, that uses not just the best possible data that is available, but also leverages a lot of local market expertise and insight and qualitative research.
0: Great. Um, well, Anna and Lauren, uh, I want to thank you both. Uh, these are fascinating insights, and I'm sure our clients will find the actions uh, to take uh, highlighted throughout the white paper very useful in revisiting the way they work with data Uh, And I encourage all of our listeners to download and read the full white paper because it's chock full of great uh, insights and examples uh, and do's and don'ts. Um, I want to thank you both for taking the time uh, and for this conversation. And as a reminder, FSG clients can speak to Anna, Lauren, or any member of the research team at any time by scheduling time via your FSG client relationship director. You can also access our research, Frontier data, and all FSG's content via our Frontier View platform. This concludes our podcast. Until next time, we wish you great outperformance across your emerging markets
1: portfolio.